on understanding and learning the fear of the Lord. And we've been talking about how important it is that we have this fear or defined respect with capital letters so that you understand the significance of the fear I'm talking about. I'm really talking respect. I'm talking reverence. I'm talking awe. I'm talking a total abandon for God. Because of who He is. Because He is the mighty and awesome God of the universe. That He is the creator and sustainer of our life. He is the provider of everything. He is the absolute authority and perfect judge of every action. He is the unquestionable motivator of pure motives. And He is a loving Father that wants to interact with us every day through His Son, Jesus, and through our Counselor and Advocate, the Holy Spirit. And as we actively engage Him through this reverential fear or respect Understand that we have just come to the beginning of wisdom. We have just come to the beginning point of heaven, heavenly wisdom applied in our life. And it's just at the beginning point where we can have a, full, a fulfilled life on this earth. There's a progression of these last few messages that I want to speak about. And they all flow together with the beginning that with understanding what this fear is. It is not a fear in the scary sense. It is not a type of fear that is an, that is an, an, uh, an intended emotion that we're to have to be afraid of death and destruction. That's not the fear I'm talking about. That type of fear came as a result of sin entering man way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. But prior to that point in time, there was nothing to fear. Death, destruction, pain, sickness, disappointment, loneliness, all of the things that we fear today did not exist. Therefore, God did not create that kind of fear for us. He did not want us to have that. But that came as a result of sin entering into mankind. That sin or that fear that we experience today is a direct consequence of sin entering man's heart. On the other hand, the fear that we are supposed to have is this sense of holy fear or holy respect of God as he created this emotion in our hearts and lives that we're supposed to have. And this is that reverential fear of the power, majesty, awesomeness, authority uh, of God. And the problem that happened in the garden is that this holy fear that God was given, that God had created in us, was replaced when sin came into man. And we still struggle with that today. See, the fear of man that we have, which is a fear of needing to please men versus God, which is also a fear of death and destruction, that fear separates us from God. That creates a chasm that we cannot cross over on our own. Whereas the holy fear of the Lord draws us to God. The more I fear him, the more I respect him, the more I awe him, the more I'm drawn to him. Like a moth is drawn to a light. You put a, you put a light out in the middle of the woods on a July night, and what happens? The moths just are attracted to the light. That's the way we are when we have that perfect fear of God, that reverential fear of, the holy, of the, our holy God. Then we're drawn to him like that moth is drawn to a light. 
And the problem is Satan has come through his deception and replaced this natural and God-given fear of, of God with this fear of man, meaning that instead of living for God, we live for man. And we live for our own natural desires and our own fleshly desires. And as soon as I start living that way, that chasm is starting to come. Jason knows what a sludge and a wedge does, don't you? You take a big block of maple wood, and it may look very, very solid, but you put that you put that wedge on that wood and give it a whack with a hammer, that sledgehammer, and it creates a little, just a little sliver. But that little sliver, as you continue to drive that sledge, that wedge, and it will split that massive piece of wood. And that's just what Satan's deception has done in our heart. He's come in with just a little sliver of compromise, a little sliver of, oh, I'm going to please a man. I'm going to please a woman. I'm going to compromise one little thing. And he takes that sledge and that wedge, and he pounds on it and pounds on it and pounds on it. It was mentioned in the Sunday school class that we're only as strong as our weakest link in the chain. And the enemy knows our weakest link in that chain, and he'll find it, and he will use it to his advantage. And when we replace that fear of God with that, with that fear of man, it leads to death and destruction. Ultimately, we become what we fear. We fear death. We become death. We fear God. We become like God. Understand that. That's where it goes. Since we lost the original God-given and desired fear, we have to replace it. And it is, and it is a learned response. It doesn't come naturally anymore to us because our natural desire is that of fear and destruction and sin. So we have to make a conscious effort to replace it. And that's where week two came in. Week two um, of, our, of our discussion came into that we were understanding uh, and, and, the, and having a personal revelation of who God is. And this is understanding the true fear of the Lord. And we, we learn this by observing the power of God and the authority of God and the control that God has in our world. The Old Testament Jewish people had, had the power of God shown to them many times, and they still didn't get it. They still couldn't get the fear of the Lord instilled in their heart. In the 40 years the Israelites traveled in the desert on a journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan, they experienced many, many miracles of God showing them his power, his authority, and his control. It began in Egypt when Moses came and they had the, the many plagues in Egypt. Then they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And they had water come from a rock. Manna and quail came from heaven every day. Manna came every day. For 40 years, manna came from heaven every day. Mountains shook and quaked as God spoke to Moses on the mountain as Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. And they feared the mountain. They feared that God would speak to them because they knew that if God spoke to them, that God would kill them. They feared it. They understood it. They saw the power of God. They had divine health in the desert for 40 years. They had clothing and shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years. Their, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. See, these are the details of life. 
the details in life God's concerned with. He's concerned that your, shoe, that your shoes didn't wear out because he knew that walking barefoot over the, over the desert ground for 40 years would, would cause problems. You know, God is so concerned about details. Let me share a little something. He healed a washing machine for us this week. This is kind of a silly little example, but it really hit home for Chris and I. We had just replaced the washer and dryer that we had received from her mom and dad. It's like four or five, six years old. Really good shape. Really pleased to have it. And it was kind of a hassle getting it in and all that stuff. But we got it in, got it installed. I'm all this, I'm, you know, and I'm, when I do handyman things, I, I get really proud of myself, okay? I mean, this is really big for me. This is like Tim the Toolman Taylor stuff, okay? And I really get excited when something goes in kind of the way I think it's going to go. And it kind of did. I got this thing in. I got it in place. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, now it's time to start it up. I started it up. got water running in it, so that's good. Got the water going. I even got the hot and the water, the hot and cold on the, wrong, on, on the right valves. Well, I had to change them because I got it wrong the first time. But I did know how to change it and get it back. So I got the hot and the cold right, and I'm all set to turn it on. And, I, and, I, and, and not even knowing how to really how to run a washing machine, I was kind of reading the dials. So I put it over onto a wash cycle, and I pulled the button out, and I expected that motor to, to, to start churning in that thing, you know, just in, in, in just water. And the motor just started to hum. And it just, mmm. I'm thinking, oh, man. So I did it again. And it went, mmm. I think, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good because it's not supposed to hum like that. It's supposed to turn. And I'm thinking, now what am I going to do? I just got this in, and I'm so disappointed. And I called Chris, and I said, Chris, your mom and dad gave us a bad washing machine. (laughs) Do you know, if you ever listen to this, I didn't mean that. No, they didn't give us a bad washing machine, but, I, but the motor was burned out in it. So I thought, and I'm thinking, man, this is a real pain. Now I've got to call Sears tomorrow inside. And so Chris came in, and she was disappointed about it. And she walked in the kitchen, and, 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 and I just sat there for a minute. I says, God, in my, and, and I didn't say anything. I just thought it. I said, Lord, help this washing machine to work. You can fix this thing. I, I don't have the energy or the time to, to, to mess with this. Would you please let it work? And I pulled that button again, and the thing just ching, 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 perfectly worked. And I sat there. You know, why are we surprised when God answers our prayer? And I just looked at it, and I was amazed. And I actually got my eyes started getting watering, and I said, Chris, come here. And she came in. I said, Chris, look it. It's working. And I said, you know, I just have to tell you, I prayed just in my mind. And she said, you know, I walked in the kitchen, and I did the same thing. I just said, Lord, let something go right for us, would you please? And she went in the other room and she prayed and just when I said, I mean, within 30 seconds, the motor was fixed. Now, see, that's a detail in life. It's probably not even worth talking about in the pulpit. But you know what? It it meant a lot to me and my wife. It gets me a little teary-eyed when I know that God's concerned about my my needs. And And he's concerned about my desires. And he's concerned about yours. So when we see, when the Israelite people saw that their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years, that should have meant something to them. Because where are they going to buy shoes? They're not going to buy shoes. And then they were led, they were led uh, by the day with a cloud and a pillar of night, pillar of fire by night. They crossed again the Jordan River, so two river crossings. And many other acts of God in this time frame throughout their life of these 40 years of this traveling. And see, and God used these opportunities to display his ultimate power, 
his authority, and his control over every aspect of his creation. He did this not just for the Israelites' benefit, but he did this just as much for my benefit. Because, see, they were the observers of this. They got to see this firsthand. I'm reading the account in the Bible, just like you're reading the account in the Bible. So, but it's just as meaningful for me today to understand God's power, his authority, and his control as it was for them. But yet, here's the sad part of the story. What happened to them in their situation? If you would turn with me in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through, 7 through 19, it says, So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He said, do not harden your hearts two times. Why do you think he had to say it two times? Because we harden our hearts. On a regular basis. We have a tendency to harden our hearts on a regular basis. And it's so important that we keep our hearts soft and tender. Let's read in chapter, or verse 16. Who were, you, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Mo, those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who have disobeyed. We see that those were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So here are a people that just saw miracle after miracle after miracle over 40 years, and they still had unbelief. They, their hearts still wandered from God. See, God really is all, all about hearts. He's all about my heart condition. He's really not too much into my things. He's concerned about them, but he's not into them. He's into my heart. He wants my motivation. He wants what's driving me. He wants my love. He wants the thing that is within me that touches him. And what touches him is my spirit. Because the Bible says we worship God in truth and in spirit. We don't worship him in our flesh. We don't touch him in our flesh. We touch him in our spirit. We touch him in our heart. And that's what God wants. He wants that. And when my heart is constantly going astray, that really hurts him. That really hurts him. Do you think that you can hurt God? Do you think that you have the power and the ability as, as weak little human beings to hurt the creator of the universe? Yeah. You can grieve him because, he, because our hearts are going astray. 
He does all these mighty works for us. And He's so awesome and He's so powerful and He's so, He has all authority at, at, at His beck and call. And yet, by a simple action or, of our heart. Boy. Having a holy fear of God planting in our heart is the very thing that must happen if we're going to move into our third week of the series. And our third week of the series was living an intentional life that's pleasing to the Lord. Understanding the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of heavenly wisdom and knowledge. It's the very basis of living a life that isn't doomed for ruin and destruction. What do you want in life? Do you want a life that gives you fullness of life? Do you want a life that, that you're proud of? That you can hold your head high on over of your actions? Or do you want a life that's doomed for destruction and death? Now, it's a pretty obvious question. Who wants a life of death? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands. Who wants a life of prosperity and wealth and blessing and fullness of life? Who wants your hand? Who wants? Raise your hands. All right. Everybody that could raise your hand, raise their hand. Aunt Lori, I know your arm's sore, so it's okay. I understand. Oh, you got that one. Okay, good. <laughs> Psalms chapter 36, verses 1 through 4. The psalmist says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Lacking the fear of God is the beginning of a spiral downspin of destruction. If having the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, then lacking the fear of God is the beginning of destruction. It says in this verse in Psalms that they flatter themselves in their own self-righteousness, that they can't even detect their own sin. Does that sound familiar to any of us in this room? Have any of us been so deceived that we don't even see our own sin? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands on these questions. But we deceive ourselves into ruin and destruction, and we commit ourselves to a sinful course, which is just the opposite of what God wants for us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Commit yourself to the Lord, whatever it is that you do, and He will establish your plans. See, intentional living requires a commitment. Intentional living requires a decision on your end that you have to take responsibility for what you do because we are in a cooperative effort with the Lord. He's a gentle Lord, and He doesn't come in, and He doesn't manipulate me, and He doesn't make me do what I don't want to do. But he gives me the ability in my spirit as I intentionally commit to him to say, I will give you the strength to do what you need to do. I will give you the courage. I will give you the discipline. I will give you what it takes for you to do the right things. But you have to live and I have to live with an intentional commitment in my life to let the Lord do that. I can trump him any day because he gave me choice. And what he gives, he never takes away. 
He never takes my choice away from me, so I always have it. And therefore, my choice is what I was what God wants from me. He wants me to willingly give him my choices, just like Jesus willingly gave up his life. No one took the life of Jesus. He did, no man killed him. No man took his life. He was not bamboozled into this thing. He didn't, he didn't walk into this, this crucifixion day unknowingly. He walked in perfectly willingly to be my sacrifice and to be your sacrifice. And he asked the same thing of me and the same thing of you. Are you willingly going to give up your choices to me? Are you willingly going to give up your choices to me? Are you going to live a righteous life with my power? You're not going to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. But I will help you if you willingly give me your heart. That is intentional living. And we have to have that. And that brings us then to the finale of these series of messages. That was just the review. (laughs) As the fear of the Lord is developed in our hearts, a supernatural progression moves us to a love of the Lord that surpasses all natural understanding. That's my supposition for today. That as the fear of the Lord is developed, as it's learned, as we allow it to happen in our lives, then a supernatural progression, something that I can't understand. I don't know how I can love God. I don't see God. I don't see Jesus. But something happens in my spirit supernaturally that gives me a love for this God that I respect. Like that moth being drawn to a light, my love, my respect, turns into love. And now that when I love Him, I serve Him. When I love Him, I want to please Him. I please who I love. You please the ones who you love. Do you not? Yes, we do. We please the people that we love. So the fear of the Lord must be converted to the love of the Lord to be effective in our lives, to live godly and holy lives. And as we understand this reverential, awesome respect of God more and more in our lives, and it's a very natural progression to love this God who created us. And as we have this love come into our life, then we see the fears and we see the, 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 the wants to disappoint Him flee. They just vanish. He changes us. We come as we are, but we don't leave as we came. We don't have to clean ourselves up first. We come who we are, as we are, and He changes us because He supernaturally takes the desires of our sinful nature, turns it into love, and then we love Him. First John verse, chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. See, God is love. Understand that. God describes himself in many ways, but God describes him most of the time. Not like love, not in the form of love. God is love. And perfect love casts out all fear. And that's the fear of the destruction. See, that's the fear that that came into our life when sin entered our life. When God enters our life, that that sin-created fear has to leave. You can't stay there with it. 
So as we exercise that, as we put God in first in our life, and, and, that, and that fear of the Lord is converted to love, then the fear of man leaves. And I'm not so concerned about what you think about me. I'm not so concerned that you agree with me because I'm trying my best to preach the Word of God. And the Word of God is love. And then you're not so concerned about how you look in front of your neighbor or how you look in front of your, your, your co-worker because the perfect love that's within you is the love of God. And when you love God, you love His people. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, in, a new, in the New Living Translation says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is so important because this is where people get all out of whack. They think it's hard to live a Christian life. They think it's hard. But in the, but in the Gospel of Matthew, it says just the opposite. Matthew 11, 28-30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When we love God, it's much easier to obey godly commands that are clearly given in his word. I'm not talking about having to read between the lines here. I'm talking about there are some commands in the Bible that are very clear. When we love God, when we have an awesome fear of God, and that's converted to love, then I want to do the things that God wants me to do. So I don't want to strain at the gnats here. I want to be obedient and I want to live a godly life, a life that is pleasing to the God that I love. And if I don't live that way, then I question my love for him. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians but don't live a holy life. Did you hear me? There's a lot of people that say they are Christians but don't live a holy life. How can they do that? If they love God, they will want to please God. So I would say if you're not living a holy life, then you don't really love God because they don't go together. If you're not... If you're not convicted, if you're not living holy, I'm not saying perfect, I'm saying holy, with a desire of my heart to please God and to want to love Him and want to serve Him and want to put away the evil, want to put away my fleshly desires, if, if you can't do that, then I'm saying that you don't love God. That's what the Bible says. I love God. I please God because I love Him, not because the preacher tells me to, and not because mom and dad tell me to. See, this is the whole purpose of the gospel. It becomes a personal revelation. It becomes a personal relationship with Jesus. When I have a personal relationship with Jesus, then it becomes about me and Him. When it's not a personal relationship, when it's my mom and dad's relationship, then it's about he and them. And I'm on the outside looking in, and therefore I try to get away with stuff when I could get away with stuff. Who loses there? 
Who loses in that situation? Do the parents? No. No. Who loses is the person that's on the outside. So what we need to do is convert the sphere of God, first of all, create it in your spirit, then convert it to love, and then please who you love. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, who, who is hard for living as a Christian life are those that are on the edge. Those that are saying they're a Christian but don't really prove it by their love, they're the ones that are having a hard time because they don't know which commands that they need to agree with at what particular time to agree with it in front of what people to agree with. So they're always kind of playing a game of, well, I hope I don't slip here because I'm in front of people that I'm trying to fool, or I'm on this crowd here so I can do what I want to do over here, and that guy's constantly going back and forth. There's no fulfillment in that life. There's nothing there that's fun. The Bible says in, in, in um, Proverbs 13:15, it says, Good understandeth, and, and this is the King James Version, so I have to read this right. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. It's not those that have sold out to Jesus that's hard. Because it's easy to say no. Think about it. Think about it. It's easy to say, no, I'm not going to do that. What's hard is, do I do it or do I not do it? Should I drink it or not drink it? Should I smoke it or not smoke it? Should I eat it? Should I, should I do this or not do it? That's what's hard. When I just say, you know what, I love God. I love Him with all my heart. I have a fear. I have a reverence over Him. And now I'm just going to say, no, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to displease my Savior. I don't want to displease, I don't want to displease this Jesus who I have a personal relationship with. As we conclude this message today, I've got to skip to the end because I'm getting a little long. As we conclude this series of messages on the fear of the Lord, it all comes down to the basic premise and result that in order for me to fear the Lord and to have an effective attitude in my life, it must be transformed into a love for the Lord. And when, since we love people and we please the people that we love, so it is with God. Jackie, if you'd come, please. If I learn to love the Lord, then I will want to please the Lord out of this heartfelt need. I will live for Him. I will work for Him. My desires to please myself will take second place to doing the things that please Him. And I'm willing to do what He wants me to do because I love Him. Now the final point of this series is this. Having the fear of the Lord actively engaged in my life on a daily basis, daily basis brings me the fullness of life that nothing else can. It brings me the fullness. Try to understand what that word means. Fullness means nothing's lacking. There is, there is nothing lacking. See, God created a, a... God, when He created mankind, He was so smart. He created a spot in my heart that only He can fill. Only He can fill. But yet, man and our stupidity, and let me just call it for what it is, it's stupid, when I try to fill it with something else. When I try to fill it with pleasures. When I try to fill it with anything else of my human desire or my human making it up. 
It will never be filled with fullness unless it's about God. Because He created it that way. (laughs) He created it that way so only He can fill it. But yet, I want to find any other way that I can try to fake it and to fill it with something that I think I can create. And that's just foolishness. It's foolishness. Why don't I understand that? Why don't I get that into my spirit and let that fullness of God fill me that only He can fill me in the first place? And it's really easy to do it. It's not hard. It's just living an intentional life. It's living a life based upon the fact that I love Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit helps me to do that. If you'd just close your eyes with me for a minute. Where are you in the sphere of the Lord transformation? Where are you? Has it transformed itself from a fear of death, a fear of man, (laughs) a desire to protect my own selfish desires? Or has it moved into a feeling of love? Has it supernaturally transformed or morphed itself from a fear of man to a fear of God because I love him? As we go into communion this morning, I want to give you a word picture as the ushers would come forward. I want to give you a word picture of what I see in my spirit. Just close your eyes. Uh, Guys walking, you can open them. I don't want you falling. Close your eyes with me if you would. This is what I see. I see Jesus standing at the door of my heart. And he's at the door of God's presence at the same time. And he's the gatekeeper. And I see the Holy Spirit coming alongside of me as my counselor and my advocate. And he's convicting me of my heart. And he's leading me to Jesus. And Jesus is standing there waiting, waiting patiently. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Mike, come on. Come with me. Walk with me up to our Savior. Walk with me to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is doing this through a gentle tug of my spirit. A gentle conviction in my heart. And he's creating this love for Jesus. And I walk up to Jesus and Jesus is there and I look up at his eyes and he's looking down at me with compassion. And I look to him and I just help. I can't help but fall on my face. And I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. And he looks down at me with compassion and he says, Mike, I love you. I love you so much that I willingly went to the cross for you. I don't hold this against you. I forgive you. I forgive you and I embrace you. And he picks me up and he lifts up my chin and he looks at my eyes. And he said, what I've done for you, I've done for you because I love you. You're forgiven. You are righteous. And then he takes me in to the throne of heaven. He then takes me in to our Father's presence. But I can't get there unless I go through Jesus. 
I can't get to God unless I go through Jesus. He has to be. He's the mediator. He's the gatekeeper. He's the one that opens the gate for me. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Now, in your heart right now, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, this is the perfect time to enter and let him enter in your heart. The perfect time to say, I'm sorry, Jesus. And he will not rebuke you. He will not ridicule you. He will welcome you with open arms and he will hug you and he will lift you up and he will embrace you and he'll say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you all these years to come home. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as as we come into this time of communion, if you've uh, if you've said that prayer, if you've listened to the voice, and if you are receiving Jesus in your heart, and I'm sure you maybe have done this many, many times, and that's okay. Communion's for you. You don't have to be a member of this church to have communion. All you need to have is the fullness of Jesus Christ in your life, and is recognizing this power of this mighty God. So I encourage you now, as we take the communion, that you would just pray, seek your heart, search your heart, search your heart, and let him come in and let him give you that fullness of Jesus in his life. We're going to serve communion elements as we do this. Jackie's going to sing a song. Shame.
And that same night, the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> Whoever therefore eats the bread and, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Amen. Have you examined your hearts this morning? Are you okay? If you said, Jesus, come into my heart, you're okay. Come as you are. Don't leave as you came. Amen. Riley, would you pray the blessing on the bread, please? Amen. Let's partake of the bread together, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for that ultimate sacrifice. In the same way that he died, his blood was shed. His blood was shed in a very cruel way. It was a very painful way. The lifeblood that he willingly bled out on the ground, he now takes that same blood and he washes over my life. And it washes a sin from me and it makes, it, it makes me as white as snow. And more importantly, he gives me life. There's life in the blood. There's life in blood. His blood gives us life. Rod, would you pray the blessing on the cup this morning. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Just take a minute now and just thank Him. Thank Him in the way that you know how, the way that you're comfortable with, and just lift your hands, lift your heart, and just thank Him. Thank Him and understand who He is, the fear of God and the awesomeness, respect. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you for your perfect life. Calvin? Jesus has one question for you today. Can you love your master the way a dog loves his master? When a dog is hungry, he relies on his master for food. 
When a dog is thirsty, he relies on his master for water. When a master leaves for a short time and comes home, the dog acts like he's been gone forever. When a dog is sick and feels bad, he relies on his master for comforting and love. That is unconditional love. What kind of love do you have for your master? Can you proclaim unconditional love for him today? We praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. That's a powerful word picture. Thank you for that. Amen. Where is your love? Is it that strong? Is it that much in dependence of Jesus? I pray that it is. Now we're going to walk. We're going to leave from this place. We're going to go next door. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have fellowship time. But if anybody wants to pray, I'll stay here for a few minutes. We'll pray. Intercede with anybody that has a need. We'll pray right now before the dinner tomorrow, uh, as we go. We'll just have some fellowship time. And don't rush out. This is an important time of our body is fellowship. Father, we thank you, Thou, one more time for being with us. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We ask you now that you would now go with us as we go next door, as we eat, partake in some food, fellowship, and fun. Lord, it's all part of being in the body of Christ. We thank you for that so much. Bless us now. Bless the food. Bless the marriage. Bless the baby that we're celebrating today. And I pray that you would just bring blessings into this home, these homes, this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.